You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey there, Enormo Cast listeners. Have you ever wondered how that bedraggled, sallow, hunched over dude you see crawling from his tent every morning manages to magically send 514 by day's end and look like a stud doing it? Well, first of all, he doesn't have a real job. But second, he uses artificial stimulants, a.k.a. caffeine. Now, I can't guarantee that drinking defiant bean coffee will turn you into a 514 climber or make you more attractive, but it will make you feel better about the fact that you're probably never going to climb 514. And thrusting a steamy cup of defiant bean in your tent mate's hand early in the morning will shroud you in a rosy glow. Oh, you're such a good friend. I wish my boyfriend did stuff like this for me, but he doesn't even like to climb. Hmm. So if you want to fill every day with limitless possibilities, at least in your mind, then head over to defiantbean.com and order some fresh roasted, responsibly sourced coffee beans from friend of the show and climber Jeff Hollenbaugh. When you enter Enormo at checkout, you get a discount and the Enormo cast gets a couple bucks too. So once again, that's defiantbean.com, entry normo at checkout. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place. That's, out. that's a big nice. place. You sold What's it out. I'll see. You really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. I was afraid end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes. And don't forget our friends at Defiant Bean Roasters. Defiantbean.com. Enter normal at checkout for a discount on great coffee. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. This is episode 43 of the Enormacast. It is September 25th, about 9 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. And uh, I had to actually go to the website and look up what episode I was on because I have lost track. We are barreling towards 50. I've heard from a lot of folks that have basically begged me to keep going after 50. Looks like I probably will. Yeah, we're getting really close, just a couple months away from the 50 mark, which was my goal with this thing. It seems like actually the Irish are the ones who are going to get the most pissed. I've heard from a disproportionately large amount of Irish climbers about my sort of veiled threat to stop at 50. But don't worry, my Irish sisters and my Irish brothers, and to those of you in the UK as well, the Enormacast will continue to be thrust upon you, not unlike Miley Cyrus's twerking arse. Moving on. On today's show, I have a conversation with Asa Firestone, who is a young climber entrepreneur, young-ish, young compared to me, (laughs) and has started a company that is sort of designed around supporting a program that he also helps start down in Brazil to help kids from the slums in Brazil get out and climb. And specifically, it helps them climb right out of their neighborhoods because the favelas in Rio, some of them are bunched right up against a couple big 
solid and amazing rock climbing venues. And he and some other folks came up with an idea to get these kids climbing because they're snugged up against this awesome wall. So we talk a bit about that, about his company, Beyond Gear, and what they're doing to try to get that off the ground. In keeping with that theme, I'd like to sort of give a couple shout-outs. The first one is to a group and organization, Boulder, Denver, called First Ascenders that also helps uh, urban kids kind of break their cycle and mode and get out and do some rock climbing. I happen to know that some of the folks running that organization are fans of the show. So even though it's pretty late, it's the 25th, their fundraiser's coming up in a couple days, but who knows? Maybe somebody between now and then will listen to it. Their fundraiser's on Saturday, the 28th, 5 o'clock at uh, the Upslope Tap Room. They're doing it in conjunction with Upslope Brewing in Boulder. The Upslope Tap Room in Boulder, look for it. There's going to be live music silent auction, door prizes, a lot of fun. You like beer, you like helping kids. So go check that out. And if you missed that because you've heard this long after the 28th, you can check out firstascenders.org and uh, see what they're doing and maybe donate something over there. And even if you want to donate some time, I'm sure they would appreciate it. Second thing is I am going to be emceeing, emceeing, seeing the MC. For a real rock event that's uh, set up to support an organization called Climb for Life. And Climb for Life is a similar organization, helping kids, underprivileged kids on the front range, also get out and rock climb. And they asked me to emcee their real rock event, and uh, I decided I would be happy to do that, come down and check that out. So if you want to help those guys out, you can just come and see the real rock movies. If you haven't seen them or you want to see them again, Yeah, and their fundraiser is going to be on Saturday, October 19th, and it's at a place called the Wildlife Experience. It's on the south side of Denver off I-25 near Park Meadows, I guess. Never been there. Don't know anything about it, but there's a theater there. They're going to show the Real Rock movies. They were nice enough on their website to call me a genius. They say that I am the genius behind the Enorma cast. Um, You know, if you want me to come to your event, that's all you got to do. Call me a genius. Go to their website. Their site is climbforlife.org, and you'll see a place to click on uh, getting tickets for that. They did sell out last year, so they're suggesting folks get tickets ahead of time. And uh, yeah, all the money from uh, that and the auction and everything else goes to fund their outdoor program that helps kids get into the outdoors that we all take for granted. But they don't always have a conduit into that zone. Anyway, two fun things to help kids that didn't have the opportunities you had growing up to get into this awesome sport. And we all know, we all believe, I believe, I think most of us believe that this sport, this weird thing we do in the outdoors, this climbing thing can, in fact, change lives. And repeatedly, if you go back and listen to these interviews I've been doing for the last two years, Again and again, those athletes talk about some sort of change that they made that had to do with climbing that put them on a path towards really living a better life. And uh, one thing that Asa says in this interview, he kind of says it in an offhand way, but it stuck with me, is he said that all kids are at risk, youth. In other words, any of us, when we were a certain age, could have gone off the rails and probably did. And in some cases, climbing brought us back from that. So anyway, let's get to this conversation with Asa Firestone about his life, his mission, and his company, Beyond Gear. 
Ace Firestone, welcome to Carbondale. How's it going? It's going awesome. Thanks so much for inviting me into the Immobile Studio. Yeah, the Immobile Studio. So Ace and I are sitting in the um, what used to be the Mobile Studio. Just came back from Lander. Actually got really mobile. Um, but on the way back, it, it seems to have started to throw a bearing in the rear axle. And um, these things are notorious for having really weak rear axles. So as soon as I started hearing a noise, I tore it apart in the driveway. So we're sitting in the driveway in Carbondale inside the immobile studio because the mobile studios were famous. Well, they weren't called mobile studios by anyone but me, but they were famous for throwing a wheel off, like going 65 down down the highway, which, as you can imagine, can be quite dangerous to other motorists. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds entertaining, though. Yeah, a dually coming ripping off, going 65 into the other lane. Yeah, anyway, it's it's actually been recalled. So we just came back from Ragged Mountain Sports. Oh, yeah. Have you ever been to Carbondale before? I have been to Carbondale, absolutely. Um, and I was just in, at Ragged Mountain Sports drinking free beer and eating free veggie dogs. Right. Which is awesome. Yeah. I'm not so tasty, but it's still awesome. Yeah, I had the regular con. They were out by the time you got there, yeah, I think. Well, so. But, hey, I, I'm psyched. I love Carbondale. I mean, you got Mount Sopris looking up over, over you everywhere you go. It's How, how much better can you, can Car- you get? Carbondale is the jewel of, uh, of the Roaring Fork. I want to say that. I sent that text to you, too, and I, I really like believe it. I like that. It is. I mean, it's like it's off the highway. It's the place to live here. So Ace and I met up in Lander, Wyoming. Um, we were ju- I was just there. We were both just there for the Lander Climbing Festival, the International Climbing Festival. I met... A couple people from, uh, I believe they were from Britain somewhere, so that might they might have been representing the international part. It's mostly a lot of cowboys and people from Colorado, but it was still a lot of fun. Um, and Asa was running a uh, a booth for his brand called Beyond Gear, and we ran into each other. And who actually introduced us? Oh, it was uh, Nick Martino. It was Martino, yeah. Yeah, Nick is kind of the man, yeah. also a little out there. Right. But I love that guy. And um, he just, like, I'm always looking for content, so I just threw my hooks in, and within, what, like five minutes, I was like, dude, you got to come be on the podcast. Yeah, I was psyched. And uh, Asa was going to be in Aspen anyway, so we um, we hooked up. So let's just get started, because I want to ask you about this beyond gear thing because that's kind of what connected us um so tell me about that absolutely so beyond gear is a brand that i recently started um to help support a climbing outreach program that we have going on for kids from the slums of brazil Mm -hmm. um so i mean if any of you know of like tom's shoes um, or any of these other like one-for-one one type of brands, well, there's not a one-for-one one brand within Adventure. And so that's what I'm trying to create. I'm, I'm really I'm trying to create a brand that represents Adventure for Good, getting at-risk kids outside, out rock climbing, eventually out mountain biking, out surfing, out skiing, out kayaking, whatever. Uh, right now, it's pretty simple. We, with every purchase... Uh, we fund a kid from the slums of Rio to go out rock climbing. Now, we started this program uh, about three years ago with the help of an American Alpine Club grant. Also, I randomly got some funding from Kiehl's, which is like a skin cream company. I don't know even how that happened. 
<laughs> um, I mean, seriously, it's like it's like a it's like a beauty cream company right. out of New York City. Seems reasonable. They, get, they they you know I had some affiliation with National Geographic, and so they come to National Geographic. And they're like, hey, we want some of your young explorers to you know we, we're going to offer them some money to do whatever they want. And so National Geographic gives me a call, and they're like, hey. We've got money for you. You can do whatever you want with it. And I'm like, yeah, this is freaking awesome. And so, you know, I should have just gone to like the Himalayas or right. gone to Patagonia or done something rad. But I was like, no, I'm going to go to Brazil and start a climbing program for the kids from the slums. You know, I'd, I'd had this idea since like 2003 when I was a foreign exchange student out there. Okay. I was wondering what your connection to it was. Um, you know, in all honesty, like, I walked up to the booth at Lander, and I was like, oh, hey, Nick. And then all of a sudden, we were in a conversation about this program that you have. I'd never heard of it before. Um, you know, I bought some earrings, you know, for my yeah. girlfriend. So are, Yeah, she was psyched. Yeah, she was psyched. But, you know, I was just kind of like, well, how did this guy from Boulder, or at least you live in Boulder right now, where'd you grow up? So I, I was born in Venice Beach, L.A. Oh, right. And then I, I unfortunately, my parents moved I lived me. In Mar Vista. Nice. I, I actually love L.A. I mean, <laughs> right L.A. is, it's not okay. It's got problems. Yeah, sure. Big time. No, I liked it too. But it's a fun city. If you know how to work it, you got the uh-huh. right systems. It's a fun city. Anyways, so I grew up in D.C. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I mean, I was super into like hip hop and break dancing and beatboxing. I was never good at rapping, but I wanted to be growing up. And meanwhile, like um, my sister who was older than me, went to Brazil um, for her year abroad in college. And so my dad had been there in like the 70s, and he was like, hey, Brazil's awesome. Let's go to Brazil and visit my daughter, right? Mm -hmm. So like he took me down to Brazil. I'm like 16 years old, right? I'm spending New Year's Eve in Rio. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, no, this was, it was epic. (laughs) No, I mean, okay, picture it, right? It must have been awesome. It was awesome, right? So, like, I'm, like, (laughs) I'm out there. I'm, like, drinking with my parents. They're cool with it. I'm hanging out with these, like, beautiful Brazilian girls, like, out on the beach for New Year's. And I'm just, like, wow, this is where I belong. Like, I I somehow was born into an American family when I was supposed to be born into Brazil. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm 16, and I, I have no clue what's going on with life, but... I get back home to D.C. It's like freaking cold out and gray and disgusting. And I'm like, dude, I got to get out right, of here, so get back to Brazil as soon as I can. New Year's in Brazil. Yeah. And then you come back to winter in D.C. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. And I'm 16, right? Yeah. And you're 16. Um, and so essentially like. So you wh- come, you go from no rules to lots of rules. Yeah. D.C. Yeah. is an intense place too. <laughs> right. Like people are a little uptight there. I mean, it's a good city, but. Right. Um, so anyway, so like I'm there in DC in high school and I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing with myself. I don't even know who I am. Right. And so I'm thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I need to get back to Brazil like as soon as I can. So I get on the internet and I start researching foreign exchange programs and I find a program, I apply for it. And on the application I write, please send me to Copacabana high school on the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like seriously. So they see this and they decide to put me into like the smallest, most cowboy rural town they can find. But it was awesome. So I go out there. I'm there for seven months. It was a really crazy experience. It was hard, but it changed my life. I learned Portuguese. 
learned all sorts of things about myself. And I fell in love with the Brazilian culture and the Brazilian people. And I wound up going back in college. And when I was back in college, I, I had this engineering internship. And then I took two months. I bought this like shitty-ass car. And I took two months to just road trip around Brazil climbing. I mean, there's some Brazilian climbers, but like there's hardly any Americans that had been climbing out there at that sure. time. It was pretty wild. And there's some kick-ass climbing down there. And I found myself sitting on the beach in Rio looking up at these two amazing mountains called the Deutschermals, which are the, the, two, the two brothers. And I'm looking up at them. There's these amazing cone granite mountains, like these twin granite mountains. And they come up right out of the beach, right out of the city. And so I started looking into doing an ascent of these mountains. But when I talked to the local people, they were like, look, these mountains are surrounded by slums. You really shouldn't go climb them. It's too dangerous. So I was like, well, okay, it's probably a good idea. I don't want to get shot. So, <laughs> and I mean, like, no, honestly, I mean, there's, there's two slums on each side of these mountains. And at that time, there are two drug cartels that, were, that controlled the two different slums. Sure. And they're at war, right? So, like, the, there were seriously, like, wars that would go on on the trails at the base of the mountain. So, I mean, it was pretty serious in, you know, 10 years ago. So, at that time, I, I didn't go climb it, but I applied for a grant through the American Alpine Club to try to create a climbing school for, these, for kids from these communities. And I didn't get it. But then, years later, I applied again, and I didn't get it. And then, I got this money from Kiel's and from, you know, through the National Geographic Connection. Sure. And... That's when I went back down there and I met this local climber who was like a climbing guide, right? And he had this similar vision of like utilizing the local climbing resources of Rio mm -hmm. to help these like really impoverished kids. Sure. Um, and so we joined up forces and we started this program, which is called the Centro de Escalada Urbana, which means the Urban Climbing Center in Portuguese. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's an acronym, CEU. Which in Portuguese means sky. Right. So it's kind of a fitting little, you know, acronym, title, you know, Urban Climb Center, all that stuff. So anyway, so we started up this program and um, that's kind of where all this started. Uh-huh. Um, and now I'm really trying to empower this program, help fund it, and eventually scale beyond it to uh, continue to, to use adventure to help at-risk kids. In Brazil? Well... Yeah, right now I'm trying, I'm focusing on Brazil and I'm focusing on Rio especially because it's got this sure. unique situation sure. of like epic granite climbing. Right there. Right there. Right. Like seriously, like right there. Mm -hmm. um, however, you know, the brand mm -hmm. Beyond Gear, my vision for that is to start with climbing in Brazil, helping these at-risk kids. Mm -hmm. But eventually I'd like to be able to scale this to... I mean, who knows? Surfing in Nicaragua, right? I mean, I was just down right. in Nicaragua, and it's like epic surfing, and yet all the people I met surfing are from California or right, right, Germany, right. not from Nicaragua, right? Well, that's like, the first thing I, I sort of thought of, and I mean, I guess one of my questions initially was like, well, you know, why Brazil or why these places? But, you know, I've been to a lot of these places, too, where... Yeah, you're the, you know, the only people who are climbing there or surfing there or skiing there or doing any of these sports 
are from somewhere else, specifically Americans or Europeans coming down there to do these these things. To me, it sort of feels a little, sometimes a little weird because I, I've been to a lot of these cliffs, not necessarily in Brazil, the ones you speak of, but, you know, in, in Argentina and even some cliffs, you know, near Bariloche where you're walking through some pretty crummy neighborhoods or somebody says, hey, if you're going to go up there, you know, be careful of your pack, you know, or just you can't go up there. Like you said, don't go up there because, yeah. you know, it's it's in a seriously gnarly neighborhood. And just this whole thing of, of arriving to this place with all this brand new gear and like, you know, shiny, happy people and trudging up through these slums to go to do something that's like, you know, rock climbing, like such this first world kind of activity. So yeah. once I started to think about it, you know, thinking about what you do, it it started to make sense. And that's kind of why I wanted you to come here and, and, and talk to me about it or talk to yeah. us about it. I mean, I, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that um, I get a lot, right, is I'm talking about the brand or I'm talking about our program. And people are like, well, why do these at-risk kids, like these kids who are super poor, why do they need to go climbing? Like they probably need a job or they probably need some food or some shelter sure. or some clothes. And it's like, yeah, okay, absolutely. But like, you know, the kids that we're working with aren't necessarily starving to death, right? Mm -hmm. um, if they're starving to death, yeah, they probably don't need to go climbing. They're still, they're just kids. And I know when I was a kid, you know, the, one of the, I mean, those kids shooting bottle rockets that, out but, in the background. But Carbondale sounds like one of these towns right now. There's like kids running around blowing off fireworks and stuff. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> no, it's true. It's, it's perfect. It's totally fitting. Um, no, but I mean, look, when I was a kid, like, I don't, you know, my theory is that in all honesty, like, okay, I know I grew up with a lot of privilege. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. A lot of us have. But the truth is that, like, I feel like every kid in a certain degree is at risk. I mean, I've met some rich kids that wound up in real bad situations or just total screw-ups, right? And, you know, I know that when I look back at my life as a kid, you know, coming out to Colorado and getting into climbing as, you know, a young kid, man... I mean, I can't imagine not having that opportunity. And it changed my life in so many ways. It taught me confidence and leadership and helped me learn to deal with, you know, risk management. Mm -hmm. I mean, just being, like, confident enough to deal with the risks of climbing, right, and to, like, believe in myself to get through that risk is really empowering, right? Sure. And so I think that with these kids, you know, yeah, okay, they, they might need a job. Totally. Um, maybe some of these kids can become climbing guides. Um, but in the end, I think it's just cool to get these kids out on the rock and them exposure to something positive, get them learning confidence in themselves. And, and I think it was really interesting, the idea of like replacing that bad risk of drugs and violence with the positive risk of climbing and adventure and teaching them the risk management skills that come mm -hmm. with climbing. Well, I mean, you're preaching in the choir because, you know, I'm an elitist. I think climbing is like this thing that can cure all ills. And I think it's special in a way that, you know, other activities aren't. And I, I just totally believe that. I believe that it can bring out the best in, in everyone. It can bring out the best in a person. So it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate with you a little bit, even though I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in a sense. And no, I don't think that you're going to save 
every kid that goes up on that cliff. But again, if you can give a kid some sort of view into this world where this is here in front of me. The truth is that the kids that are in our program um, have family. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just poor. Right. They're really just normal kids. I mean, I was just down there a month ago and like, I mean, these these kids, they're just having fun. Um, You know, it's not... It's not like there are some slums and there probably are some kids in this slum that are like really seriously poor, like poor as hell, right? Right. The kids that are in our program, the ones that have found themselves, you know, in the position to be able to, you know, go out with us consistently, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like they're, they seem to be, it's not that they're well off at all, obviously, but it's like they've got some stuff going on they have a little bit of a foundation sure um i mean it depends like there's a kid in our program who's the youngest kid in our program he's 10 years old and i i don't know the exact situation but i know that there's been some you know like his you know there's like a like his parents um you know i mean i don't really i don't know if it's even cool to like get into this but i know that his dad like we don't have to name him yeah yeah exactly yeah but like you know his and I don't know this exactly, but from what I understand, like his dad had, you know, assaulted and brutally hurt his mother. Sure. Right. So obviously that's a pretty serious situation, but, um, you know, I don't think that it's like that with every kid in the slums of Rio. Um, but there is a lot of violence. There's 5,000 murders a year in, in Rio. Right. Uh, it's a lot. Well, I mean, I can only imagine it's like, you know, <laughs> We picked the right night to do this. I don't even know if everybody can hear. There's like full on like warring going on out there with fireworks. But anyway, I mean, we don't know what's going on, right? But the thing is, is that whenever I've gone to these countries, whether it's been, I mean, I haven't been to Brazil, but I've been to Ecuador and uh, uh, Colombia and some other countries in South America. And so when I think about slums in the United States, I have this image and then when you go to these other countries, the difference is, is pretty startling. You know, what truly sort of poor shack living kind of can be like in these, in these other yeah. countries. So, I mean, wh- whether they're the poorest of the poor or whatever, for you guys to go down there and give them an opportunity to, to step out of that lifestyle for a few minutes or one day or whatever else, we can kind of think of it well, – in two ways you can think of it like oh it's just one day like what difference does it make or you can think of like it's one day and it makes all the difference well i mean first of all we're we're trying to do this well we're really doing this every week right, right. so it's like every monday and we're we're trying to expand this right now and and, and do it every, twice a week mm-hmm. but every monday we get our kids out um and so we don't we're trying not to have it be a you know, come out with us once and okay. you know, this will change your life. This is like, hey, this is this program. And if you want to be part of it, this is open to you. And it, we're seeing that it's been growing and that kids are psyched. I mean, I was just down there and like the smiles on these kids' faces, like they just, they get so psyched. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like you remember when you were a kid and you went out climbing for the first time. I don't know how old you were when you went climbing, but whatever you did that was adventurous, like, man, that was like the coolest thing you'd ever done. You know, whatever adventure you did, the most recent one was the most badass thing you've ever done. And, you know, I think that it's important to give kids that that opportunity. 
So your brand Beyond Gear, like how does it fit in with what's going on down there in Brazil exactly? You said there's this center down there. You've got this separate brand. And then my other question is why is it called Beyond Gear? Yeah. Can we get to all those? A- absolutely. Circle around? So um, I- I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people get confused with all this because it's a little bit complicated. <laughs> um, so, you know, I started this the program the Centro de Escalada Urbana in Rio with okay. my buddy Andrew Lenz, who's the man. Okay. Now, he is a climbing guide down there in Rio, and he runs that program. That program is a nonprofit, and we cipher all of our funds through the American Alpine Club. Got it. Now, I then started Beyond Gear because I felt like a for-profit model would allow for investment and scalability to create more impact with a very transparent giving policy. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we've calculated that it costs approximately, I mean, it's a little bit gray, but approximately $3 to get a kid out on a session of climbing. So with every purchase that we, you know, all of our climbing jewelry, any of our apparel, any of our chalk bags, we give $3 out of the, out of the revenue to this program. Now that turns out to be at least, I mean, at least 10% of revenues, which is a significant portion. But it's in normal conditions, like especially when we're selling for wholesale, it's like 20%. Okay. So it's, it's a big chunk of, of the revenue that goes into this program. But that's the concept right now. Now, you know, as this expands and grows, you know, we might expand, we might change it so that we're marketing and saying we give, you know, I've been thinking about, couple different options but um you know you could give 50 percent of profits but the problem with profits is that like you know you have such manipulation of profits you know sure. and, and the consumer doesn't realize that but if like if i wanted to if i said hey i'm going to give 50 percent of profits to this program it sounds great but then all i have to do is increase my costs and now i have less profits and i give less money away right right, right. And, I, and the way i can increase costs is by paying myself more mm-hmm. right so it's like there's an element of transparency that I want to create. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, by saying, okay, look, we give $3, which is the marginal cost to get a kid out outside for a session. You know, it's, it's not a lot of money, but it's, it's believable and it's transparent. And so I feel like, and it's, it still allows our brand and our company to breathe and to grow. Sure. So that's why I've gone with that. So again, let, let me just, ask you this in terms of the name beyond gear i mean there's obviously a message in there and you know what were you thinking when you when you decided to call it that so i started beyond gear with my buddy gil weiss okay and he was a a straight homie of mine he actually uh he actually passed away last summer but we can talk about that a little later but um um and i remember he was i was in la i was in business school and he was in boulder and we were talking on the phone, and we were like, what are we going to call this company? You know, like, we were super psyched about this whole thing. And we were, like, brainstorming. He had, like, all sorts of terrible ideas. I can't remember what he was coming up with, but it was, like, there was some pretty bad stuff that he was throwing out there. And somehow I was like, well, what is the essence of what we're trying to do? And, you know, we were talking about it, and we are like, well, we're making gear, right? And, like, we're trying to appeal to you know, outdoor enthusiasts who buy gear, but we're trying to like go beyond it, right? Like this isn't just about the gear. It's about going beyond gear. 
And then we were like, whoa, like Beyond Gear. And we got all psyched on, on that name. <laughs> and then it just stuck. And, um, and then what, what happened was our logo, we, you know, we were looking at the mountains where our climbing school is based. The mountains that originally inspired us to, to create this climbing program. And it's the, the two brothers mountains, the, the Deutsche Mouse. And they got this really beautiful, unique look to them. And so I, I was thinking like we should base our logo on that, on that look. And I don't know, I really, I kind of just fell in love with that look. And um, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, hey, your logo sucks. You should, <laughs> I, I should redesign it for you, oh, you man. know, but <laughs> no, honestly, and, and like really solid, good graphic designers, but it's like, you know, I'm I've kind of like toyed a little bit with it, but it's like I'm not going to change the the arches. Like I love that that look, and it's like it's it started in the beginning, and I just I just think it's rad. Well, so. Who cares? Yeah, and who, well, I mean, if I nobody mean, I likes know. it, I guess then it's I important. Probably, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, people what? told me not to call this the Norma Cast either, but whatever. They yeah, couldn't well, give me a better idea. So well, exactly, and the thing is, that everybody's always got like some kind of critique mm-hmm. and their own opinion, and it's like. Sometimes they're right, and sometimes it's just like, who gives a shit? Like, just you just gotta go do something, mm-hmm. and just stick with something that you like, you know. So that's kind of that's kind of what happened with Beyond Gear. Well, let me ask you a little bit about um, just kind of. I'll be honest with you. A lot of times, I'm I'm sort of skeptical about um, a lot of these nonprofit climbing things. Like, oh yeah, you just want to go, you know, climb this thing, and yet where you're raising money for this, or you're raising money for that. You know, and, and I guess the big glaring one has been, you know, uh, Craig Mortensen, Three Cups of Tea, this whole, like, you know, all of a sudden there's like, well, where is all this money going and who is actually getting all this sort of thing? And, you know, as you talk about creating transparency, you know, do you feel that kind of pressure in terms of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, here I am presenting this thing that, you know, is is... I'm, I'm kind of a you know pulling on your heartstrings to try to get you to 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 buy this gear. Like, how do you kind of tread that line with 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 climbers? I think climbers are fairly irreverent in in, in terms of looking at these things. You know. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I think that's a great question because I think it's tricky. It's really tricky, um, and I think that you know there's a lot of different points of view and different sides to it all. But I think that you know. The best thing that you can do is to be really transparent about how you're creating impact. Um, you know, because our brand is pulling on the heartstrings, and that's what we're we're trying to do. That right, because that helps differentiate us, and that is what we're doing. Right. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, you don't want to be tacky and and like you don't want to give pennies on the dollar to a program and then like have all of your marketing based on, you know, pulling heartstrings because that's right. just, that's just lame. Right. So, but on the, but on the other side of the equation, it's like, you know, if you want to create a successful business that has the ability to create, to generate a lot of funds and to scale, um, you've got to, you know, you, you can't give all of your money away because then you don't have any money to pay, you know, people to, to make the business successful, right? So it's like, it's tough. I mean, and, and the thing is that within the nonprofit world, mm-hmm. I think it's it's hard because when people give 
to a cause, they want to feel like every single penny of that money is going to that cause. Sure. And I totally understand where they're coming from on that. On the other hand, it takes a lot of work and effort and somebody's, you know, essentially a salary to allow for that stuff to happen. So like people within the nonprofit world still need to get paid and they need right. to get a salary. And most people, when they start donating, they don't necessarily want to give anything to someone's salary. And I understand that. So, I mean, my solution to all this, in, in all honesty, is to create something that's cool, that represents something cool, that like people would want to wear anyways, and then have it also have a very transparent giving policy of like, here's what we're doing. We're funding this climbing wall to, you know, to, in the slums of Rio. We're funding these kids to get out climbing. Mm-hmm. And now we're scaling this up to, to do other types of projects. I mean, that's, you know, and, and with each purchase, we give $3 done. Right. And some people are going to be like, Hey, that's not enough money, you know? Right. But we're giving over 10%, more like 20%, depending on the product. Right. So that's a lot. Right. And so, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think, um, I think it's a tricky mm-hmm. issue. Um, and it's going to be hard to not be tacky and to be genuine but that's the challenge. And if we can do it, then we can really create some awesome impact and create a sick brand. So when you, you keep saying we, and I, I often use that with the, with the podcast um, in the sense of what I like to say, the royal we, because there really isn't anybody else but me. So what, <laughs> when you say we, what, do you look, what are we looking at? Is it, it, it's so, really mostly you, isn't what, it? It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's mostly me. I've, I've had a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Um, I started it with my buddy Gil, um, and I'll, I'll get into that. I'll actually just tell you that story right now. Yeah, so, we need to hear that story. So, um, so essentially, Gil was like this badass mountaineer, um, just like really like the most psyched guy to be in the mountains, right? And I mean, we all know the most psyched guy to be in the mountains, but Gil was like really the most psyched guy to be in the mountains, mm-hmm. like seriously. And so we were talking, I was telling him about, you know, our program in Brazil, he was super psyched about it. And then I was telling him about the brand that I was creating and he wanted to be part of it. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, look, this guy, I know I can get along with him. I got a lot of respect for him. He's smart. He's a great writer and he's super psyched. So let's work together. So we started working together and we went down to Peru uh, last summer, you know, right when we like launched our brand or, you know, got it started. And we go down there, and the idea was to investigate this other program that was getting local Quechuan kids out outside, teaching them outdoor education, which I think is really important. I love that program. Um, two, we were going to find a local manufacturer in Peru that, you know, make sure that their facilities were solid, make sure that they were legit and not like child labor and sketchy sweatshop. And then three, and probably the most important, we're going to go climb some kick-ass big mountains out there. Uh Um, And so we were down there, you know, it was about a year ago, exactly. And um, we we found this line on Palkarahu, um, which was a 20,000-foot peak, and this line hadn't been climbed. And we were checking it out, and we were like, dude, this line is sick. Like, we got to go climb it. So we did all this research, and we went up there for... And we got all our donkeys up there and we were up there for a week. We're on the glacier and we were just getting like pissed on with snow, just bad weather. You know, we scouted the whole line. We were super psyched, but just the weather just wasn't working out. So we bailed. Mm -hmm. And 
at that time, I only had a couple more days in Peru, and so I wound up leaving. Um, meanwhile, Gil stayed out there with my buddy Ben Horn, two really talented mountain climbers, just rad guys. They went back up there and um, climbed the route. And it was like seriously like modern cutting-edge route, like badass, like 2,500-foot face of like steep snow and ice, probably averaging like 80 degrees rad. They get to the top, and instead of repelling the face, you know, and Gil and I had argued a lot about repelling the face versus going down this ridge, they decided to go down this ridge. And as they were going down the ridge, you know, it had been really hot out, I guess, and um, the ridge collapsed, took them both over the edge. Uh, They both died. And I was actually out here in Aspen last summer, and I was wondering, like, why I hadn't heard from them. Mm-hmm. You know, it had been two weeks. And in Peru, like, you don't usually go out for two-week expeditions. It's usually, like, a week expedition. Sure. So I was, you know, wondering, you know, where they were and what was going on. And so I started emailing them. And then I called uh, a friend down in, in Peru. And he was like, look, I think that they're late. Like, I don't know where they are. I think we should start thinking about a search team. I didn't know exactly which mountain they were on, but we wound up investigating it with the help of Ted Alexander down in Peru, who's like amazing guy. He's kind of like the American badass expat in Wadaz, in the Cordillera Blanca. And he organized the, the search team and we found out the right mountain that they're at. And then, you know, a couple days into it, found their, their tent, which was actually my, my tent, and there was nobody in it. And that's when I that's when I knew I, I knew that there's I mean, you know, there's one percent chance that they're still around. But, you know, when I when they found that tent and there's nobody there, I was like, you know, that's, um, you know, my hopes kind of left me. Yeah. So losing Gil was uh, was a big, you know, big, big blow to to me and to the whole um my my whole like energy of this company and you know I mean he was like one of my sure. best friends and I, I almost stopped working on the on Beyond Gear at that point um, I really did actually I spent like a month not like just focusing on on helping to organize his memorial uh-huh. but then after that memorial was done I um, you know I thought about it and I was like well you know even though it's just me. I should probably keep doing this because I want to. And two, I know Gil would want that. So kept working on it. And, you know, who knows if it's the right decision or not. I mean, it's got a long ways to go. But um, I think Gil would be psyched. And then I actually his dad gave me Gil's van, which is like this big red dirt bag van. It's like, it's really like the shittiest van ever. It's like a Pontiac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I, I had a little bit of money, and so I, I decided to um, create a tribute on his, on his van. So we, like, we had this, like, really rad uh, graphic design of Gil doing this, like, pull harder pose, which is this organization he was involved with, which is, like, kind of like the bolt. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever saw that, like, during the Olympics, like, the bolt move where he, like, has his hands over his head, mm-hmm. like, in, like, a, a bolt. Um, so Gil would do this every time he got to the top of a mountain and it was like his signature thing. Like he was, he was just like, he would do it all the time. 
And so we, we got this graphic design of him doing the pull harder pose on top of a mountain in Peru. And we put it on the back of this van. And I mean, I still like, I drove the van here you yeah, know? Yeah, and, and it's it. like, you know, and it's just, you know, the fact that we have this tribute to Gil, it's like this mobile adventure machine. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just fucking cool. You know, and I know that I know Gil would be psyched about that band. So I'm I'm happy it was definitely worth the money and, and doing that and you know, if I ever went it would be cool to like have my car like have a tribute to me or something. I don't know, I've never seen that before, so I was I think you'd be psyched about it. Your partner dies in this whole thing and you keep it going. So how long ago was that? It was like exactly a year ago only a year ago yeah um yeah i mean we found out we found his body on july uh 31st uh-huh so not even a year ago um but i think he died on the 14th okay yeah i mean that's, so pretty pretty fresh then yeah yeah i mean it's pretty fresh it's it's interesting it feels like a long time ago now uh-huh. um you know it's like honestly like it was it was really hard for a while, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of started to kind of block some of that out and mm-hmm. go a little bit numb to it. And well, um, you had this other project going anyway. Yeah, I think that I mean, that, that was. I think that helps connected to him. And tell me about your life at this moment. Then, I mean, you know, it's like you started this company, this brand. You're, I mean, I ran into you in in Lander. You're driving around in his van. Now you're in Aspen. You say you live in Boulder, but basically, I mean, it's not like, like, you know, when I just was talking to you about nonprofit versus what are you doing with this company, you know, you didn't pull up in a Ferrari or, you know, roll out with like a bunch of bling on or anything else. So what does your life look like in terms of, you know, are you going to Brazil often? Are you running around the country trying to get this brand off the ground? I mean, what, what are you doing? Yeah. And then where does climbing fit into it for you still? Um, so in January, beginning of January, I actually was in Tahoe uh, with some high school buddies. And I decided to go off one of the, um, the those like jumps, like the park jumps, you know. Uh-huh. Oh, so, so you're, like, you're snowboarding. Yeah, so I was yeah. snowboarding in the park. And, and I'm like with my high school buddies who are all from D.C. And I'm like the Colorado guy. So I'm like, yo, check this out. And I hit this jump going way too fast. And I'm like thinking I'm in the X Games and then I just break myself Mm -hmm. and I break my femur. I get like a massive concussion. Seriously, like I was like knocked. You were 30 at the time, right? Yeah. No, seriously. I like. There's nobody 30 in the X Games. No. Just so you know. No, definitely not. (laughs) They don't last that long. No, seriously. What? Like I I don't remember it because I got temporary amnesia. Mm -hmm. But like my buddy was like, look, the last thing you said was, hey, I'm. 30 years old, I probably shouldn't do this anymore. And then I go and break my femur. That's some <laughs> variation on the redneck hold my beard joke. Uh, look, I, I probably shouldn't even say this publicly because it's just pathetic. But, I mean, it's just like, yeah. And so then I'm like, I'm in the hospital. You know, I come to in the hospital. I'm just like, what just happened? I can't remember the last week. I don't remember Christmas or New Year's. Um, supposedly, I'd been, like, continuously hitting on the nurse every time that I saw her because I didn't remember that I was hitting on her before. And like, there's actually video of me doing this. It's like, it's pretty pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she, she seems smart. She was smiling. So I sure. think it's okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, so your, like in your forgotten memory, she was smiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> let's just stick with that. Yeah, totally, definitely. Um, so I mean, look. So mainly, like, like a month after that, like, was a low point. You know, like all this stuff had happened in my life in the last year. You know, I'm like, I can't climb. I've got all these medical bills. I mean, I had insurance, luckily. Um, I'm like living with my parents. I, it was bad. Like, I seriously, I started watching uh, Breaking Bad at this point mm-hmm. because I like wanted to do work, but I like knew I just needed to chill out a little bit. So I started like getting addicted to Netflix, and I somehow was attracted to Breaking Bad. And if you ever seen Breaking Bad, it's not exactly like an uplifting, you know, series. It's sure. like freaking depressing. And so like. It's like the last thing I needed to be watching. So like I'm seriously staying on the couch at my parents' house with a broken femur, watching Breaking Bad, and just like going downhill. <laughs> so that that was like about two months, maybe a month and a half. And then I finally got back to Boulder, and things. And I had a cane, so I was like rocking a cane around, and that was awesome. Like all of a sudden, I went from like feeling like a piece of shit to like rolling around like with a cane and like people are like yo that's an awesome cane and it's like <laughs> seriously it was such a it was great i love that cane and like that's awesome yeah no it was, seriously it was a big turnaround Note for me to self cane yeah yeah the normal cane i'm on it dude cane i'm telling you man i, I swear to god i got more attention from girls with that cane than i've, I've ever gotten nice work um yeah well i don't know it didn't quite didn't quite work out but anyways um so at that point i really started to like get focused on on work again and um and so now you know i've got a booth at the outdoor retailer which is coming up in two weeks so that's huge for me um i've designed we've got like this awesome packaging we've got a great display that we're like trying to get into rei we're trying to get into all the mountain shops and you know all over the country um and you know, like I've been meeting really great people that I've been kind of trying to bring into the team because um, it really ha- was just me for a, a long time. Right. And now, you know, like there's a, a couple other people that are really like starting to get really involved. And that's huge uh, because, I mean, there's a long period where you're just like you wake up in the morning and you like work by yourself and at your house and then you like drink a beer at night and go to bed. Uh-huh. And it's like it gets lonely and kind of depressing. <laughs> I mean, anyway, so like I'm trying to try to move past that. I got a membership to the co-working space, the hub mm-hmm. in Boulder. And that was awesome. Like I started hanging out with all okay. these like, other entrepreneurs and people who like were like in similar situations of like just being super psyched, but like trying to figure out their path and, you know, started hanging out with like the Unreasonable Institute guys in Boulder. Um, so there's been a lot of progress in the last you know, a couple of months. Um, but I wouldn't say I'm like out of the woods yet at sure. all. Like not even close. Right. Um, and this thing might not work, you know. Um, but, you know, we've we've been able to create some other aspects of it. Like we've got uh, uh, Beyond Talks, which is a speaker series at the Boulder Patagonia store we do with, with them. And the, the idea is to interview people. Um, I mean, we got to have you on there at some point. Uh, to interview people in a, in an event setting, so it's not a podcast or anything sure. like that, but in an event setting, and talk to them about how adventure has inspired them to go beyond adventure, you know, and maybe create 
a company or create some kind of innovation or create an organization that helps people. Um, you know, the, the whole concept of, you know, how did, what does adventure really mean? Right. And how does it interact with the, with all the other aspects of your life rather than just, you know, climbing the hardest route or climbing the mountain Mm -hmm. the best or whatever. Right. That's a tall order actually. I mean, just even at the, at the, the lander thing, you know, at the, at the, uh, the presentations, like there was, he mentioned at the beginning, some sort of theme about like community or I don't know. There was some, some sort of like the way it was all supposed to come back, but I felt like most of the presentations didn't, you know, they kind of just came back on themselves of like, you know, how, how rad they'd become. Totally. And and that's something that we've, we've been, we've struggled a little bit with. I mean, mm-hmm. fortunately, like you've got guys like Timmy O'Neill, mm-hmm. right. Who are like epic climbers, obviously. But then now they run, he runs Paradox Sports, right. which is, you know, going way beyond adventure, right? I mean, this is helping so many people through climbing. And so I think that those types of stories, right, of people who, um, who, who are inspired by adventure to do something different, create some kind of innovation, I think that's really cool. And so that, that's something that I'm working on. Um, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Driving around in a van, trying to make something happen. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's wrap this up then because um, we've been going for about an hour. But so tell me, you know, if anybody wants to get involved with this, they just need to buy some gear from you. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I haven't even told them what kind of gear we have. Right. We, we got chalk bags, we've got climbing apparel, and we've got climbing jewelry. Okay. So, our jewelry right now is. Uh, themed off of inspired by stoppers. Right. Right. So we make stopper necklaces, earrings, and bracelets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're also working on um, taking old gear and refurbishing it and using like a laser engraver to put our logo right. into it. Right. And selling that as old old gear with like a story behind it of like sure. where it came from and all that. And then we're also starting to work with local artisans in the favelas in the, in the slums okay. of Brazil and creating some products from them as well. Right. Um, if you want any products, if you want to watch our video, go to gobeyondgear.com, okay. and that's where you can purchase our stuff. And if you want to donate to our program directly, mm-hmm. you can do that on the American Alpine Club's website. So okay. you go to americanalpineclub.org backslash donate, okay. and then there's a drop-down menu, and you can pick CEU, and that's okay. us. The CEU. All right, well, I'll go ahead and link all this on the website. You know, we sold the shit out of Kate, Kate Rutherford's jewelry, and don't stop buying that, people. Yeah, that stuff's awesome, yeah. by the way. But here's another option. If you've already, you know, if you've already sort of styled out your lady with some, some Kate Rutherford earrings, go ahead and check out Beyond Gear. I got a set. Worked awesome. Let me just tell you. All right. So, again, it's, it's gobeyondgear.com. So I'll go ahead and link the American Alpine Club uh, link for you guys off the website as well. So, all right. Well, thanks for coming into the immobile studio. Hopefully, I'll get that axle back in there this weekend. Anyway, thanks for coming down from Aspen. Yeah, thanks a ton. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Number 43 is in the bag. Go ahead and check out the post with Asa for any links that we talked about in the interview if you're interested in what he's doing 
Also at EnormaCast.com, you can find out more about the EnormaCast, about how to help out the show on the Help Out tab. Also check out our sponsors. And don't forget that you can get in touch with me at Chris at EnormaCast.com. And if you simply send me a physical address, I will send you stickers. And if you're waiting for a reply to an email, or if you're waiting for stickers, just sit tight. I'm a little behind. I'm a little in the weeds with the emails, and I actually ran out of stickers, but there'll be more here soon. So, yeah, it's just me, just the royal we over here at the normal cast. So, just relax. When you least expect it, something will show up. All right, get out there and enjoy the fall. You don't need my help, but do please remember to check your knot and check your partners too. Oh, those are Mr. Lebowski's children, Different so mothers, to speak. Huh? No, they're not. Racially, he's pretty cool. <laughs> they're not literally his children. They're the little Lebowski urban achievers, inner city children of promise, but without the necessary means for a necessary means for a higher education. So Mr. Lebowski is committed to sending all of them to college. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. Fire out. Think he's got room for one more.